<clears throat> All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of just being here this morning, being able to fellowship this way, Father, to break bread together, to just dine on the very bread of life, the Word of God. What a beautiful moment in time this is, Father. May we never become familiar with it, but know that by your grace, your mercy, and your love, you orchestrated the whole of it, that we might enjoy this thing this morning. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that can't be here enjoying this with us this morning, that you comfort them and return them in your good timing. We pray also for those in this world that are still lost, without hope, that they be humbled and receive saving faith before it's too late. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this a reality for all of us to enjoy. We do just ask your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. How's the, uh, do we have both ACs on for a reason? All right, so I want you to delegate because this happens probably way too often. Anybody want to become the AC master? Anyone? All right, you want to do it? All right, Scott's got new Scott's going to do it. He's going to show you up. One of the newest people in the whole congregation is going to make you look bad, Mr. Deacon. <laughs> Anyways, all right, Proverbs 17, uh, Wisdom, Part 17. Let's begin with some encouragement. Uh, Philippians 2.1, go there. Philippians 2.1. Some encouraging words from the Holy Bible. Every time I say that, I, you know, isn't it just easy just to say, you know, oh, it's the Holy Bible. Eh, it's Holy Scripture. Almost like a name. But listen, holy is an adjective. It's holy, right? Holy, it's the Holy Bible. It's set apart. It's, I don't know, I guess I'm, uh, that word just strikes me so fiercely sometimes that I think I'm embarrassed to admit that I forget that it's holy. Do you know what I'm getting at? Like, it's not just a book. It's not just, you know, the Holy Bible. It's the Holy Bible. It means it's holy. It's set apart. It's God's Word. That's a big deal. Don't ever forget the word holy when you say the Holy Bible. This isn't religion. Do you understand? It's not, oh, we read the Holy Bible. No, it's the Holy Bible. It is the Bible, but it's holy. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's Holy Scripture. It's the very Word of God. Please don't forget that. All right, with that said, let's read some Holy Scripture. Philippians 2.1 So, if there is any encouragement, again, this is for encouragement's sake this morning, get us started. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of and of one mind. And I do hope that that's us, North Christian Church. That's my hope 
that we're encouraged in Christ and any comfort is in love, uh, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Nothing more beautiful than, than to see a bunch of soldiers for Christ walking, marching in lockstep to the beat of the same drum. That's beautiful for a shepherd, and that's what Paul is describing there. He wants the Philippians to march to the beat of the same drum. And then to be encouraged that that thing's happening supernaturally uh, as he was being encouraged. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. A selfish person would break rank, as we would call it in the military. Look at me! You know what I'm saying? It's, it's the parade grounds. Can you imagine this? You know, everybody's in the stands watching the military, watching them, you know, you know, flank in front of the, 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 the grandstands and everybody. And then one guy goes, hey, Mom, look at me. I want to be the standout. You know, hey, look at me. Hey, everybody. And they break rank so that they can be noticed. That's pride. That's arrogance. That's not good. And I think that's why, you know, a church like this is the way it is. We don't have a, um, we're not filled with a bunch of people that want to be standouts. I mean, maybe your flesh does, but that's not, and it starts right here, by the way. You get an awful lot of, listen, folks, remember, it's not about the man. It has nothing to do with me. I don't want you to hold me up. I'm only up in the air so you can see me in my beautiful shirt from Scott Grande. I'm only up in the air so you can see me. There's speakers so you can hear me. That's the end of it. There's nothing special about this vessel. As soon as you get the sense that that's me, come talk to me, and I will tell you to your face. I'll tell you again and over and over. There's nothing special about me. Matter of fact, I'm wretched in so many ways, which is why I think I'm empathetic with all you wretches. Right, Brandon? Brandon's like, yeah. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, verses 12 to 13, that's a good uh, indicator of the shared labor. Do you see that? We've studied that out in the past, maybe a year or two ago. But look at the end of verse 12. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
So you're definitely involved in this, right? But look at 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you see there's a shared load. There's a shared labor for each one of us. I can't explain it much any further than Holy Scripture does. That's all I can teach you. That's the truth of the matter. Work out your own salvation. I don't have the Greek in front of me, but I would be willing to bet it's active voice present tense, which means it's you and it's always. It's something you do habitually, right? But also it says for God, who, God is working you. <laughs> so you got this, it's not a paradox, but you got this joint labor thing going on. So anyways, that's not our message this morning, but certainly a place to ponder. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud. Now we're going to get a little bit more on this in a bit because some of you are like, hey, pride, wait a minute, isn't that a sin? Yeah. But it all has to do with something else. I'm going to go into this in a moment, but I just want you to hold that thought. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So if you didn't know Paul's heart, you might say, oh, work out your own salvation you know, with fear and trembling so that you can be proud, like me. We'll get to that in a moment. This past week, the Spirit had us ponder King David as a young man having defeated the giant Goliath. That scene resulted in the following principle up here on the board for all of us to chew on. The so-called, quote, secret to strength is humility. If you want to be strong, you have to be humble. As soon as you start chest beating and exercising your own human will, you become weak. Humility is our greatest source of strength and courage. I always define courage as just nothing more than applied faith. That's all courage is. You have faith that God's going to deliver you or God's got whatever he wants uh, to get done uh, through you is going to happen. That's what courage actually is. Um, again, humility is our greatest source of strength and courage. Why? Because we put the onus of victory on the Lord's strength instead of our own. That's the whole point. That's what humility is. Humility is not aw shucks kicking the sand. That's false humility, which is really just another name for arrogance. Aw shucks, look at me, you know, here I am at church again, 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 right? Aw shucks, I'm, you know, I'm just so humbled by Christ's love for me again. You know, I'm just so humbled by this. I'm just so, 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 you're so arrogant. That's false humility. So just remember that humility in the Bible is not kicking the sand. It's not aw shucks. Matter of fact, when you're humble, you're really powerful. Remember what David said about uh, beating up the bear and the lion, this kind of a thing, and then, uh, then beating uh, and killing and beheading Goliath, the nine-foot-nine giant, and he was just a young lad? Where did he get all that strength from? The Lord. That's why, those, that's why those stories are in the Bible. They're not just so we can go, oh, wow. 
Wow, he was huge, and David killed him with a sling. <gasps> wow. No, it's for our edification. It's to remind us who wins the battles for us. So after that, though, so we saw him as a young boy. Um, after that, again, we pondered King David, uh, whose pride got in the way of his humility. So he was very humble in the biblical sense, but even as great as he was, his pride got in the way of his humility, which produced this principle up here on the board. Remember how you got here. David had forgotten. Remember, he numbered his army. Look at my great army. Look how awesome I am. Look how awesome my army is. He forgot. Well, to apply that to ourselves, we have to remember how you got here, how we got here. Once you think you've, quote, arrived, be careful you don't forget where you came from and who exactly sanctified you. David forgot and ultimately suffered dearly. You might just be miserable because of this one reason. One re and it's a quick fix, as the Spirit mentioned about a week or so ago. You've become familiar, entitled, arrogant. We looked at 1 Samuel 17, second, oh, excuse me, 1 Chronicles 21. Now on Thursday, the Spirit asked us to turn from David's example to our own. It's great to learn the principles from the Word of God, but that's never where it ends. It has to come back to us. We have to be willing and humble to apply what we learn to our own lives. And so the Spirit really hardly ever allows us to, you know, escape before that thing happens. Remember, we all stand and fall before the justice of God. We don't just point fingers. So the Spirit asked us point blank up here in the board, has your pride ever gotten in the way of your humility? Has your pride ever done that? On the base assumption that you're humble to start with, that might be a stretch for some of you. I don't know. I mean biblical hum humility, not that aw shucks kind. Has your pride ever gotten in the way of that? Um, and I did some reflecting on this, and please do so with me. In America, I mean, I think I'm looking around. I mean, not everybody, we have over 5,000 views a month now on the website. So a, a good portion of viewership is not in this room. But we all, I believe, are all American, right? Um, we're proud almost by default. Think about why that might be. Well, for starters, we're inundated with propaganda from our youth. We're told essentially that we are the world leader. And we just sort of take that like peanut butter and we just go... We say, well, since we lead the world economically, then we just lead in every which way. We're just the leaders. That's that terribleness that happens uh, when... Famous people, say actors, rich actors or whatever, turn to politics and all of a sudden they think they know everything about social issues because they make movies and people listen to them. That's the same, that's the same pattern, is it not? So we're rich. Okay, so America's rich. That makes us thought leaders? Hardly. Typically it makes us a bunch of people that fail the prosperity testing, what you would call prosperity testing, and we're a bunch of perverts who basically infect the rest of the world with our disgusting culture. Amen? Happy Sunday morning. Right? That's the truth. 
If you want to know the truth, that's the truth of it. And I served in the military, so don't get all puffy. What's he, anti-American? Shut up. How dare you? We take it outside and we'll, we'll talk about anti-American. How about that? We'll see how American I am. There, sizzle chest. Right? I hate that stuff. You see how I get angry because I hate it so bad. It's, that's just an idiot trying to escape, trying to, you know, justify maintaining what the Spirit just completely dismantled. That's a moron trying to maintain something that doesn't exist, that's a lie. You don't think Americans lie? You don't think the, the American dream is a farce? Wake up. Honestly, wake up. Okay, enough. It must be the shirt, Scott. This thing's getting me riled up. <laughs> All right, anyways. Propaganda. We're told that we're a world leader, which in all fairness in global economies is true. But we are the leader because we've always carried the biggest stick. We are economic giants that can afford military might that dominates any other company, uh, country that crosses us. Again, I'm not being anti-American here. Remember, all men in my immediate family have served in the armed services. All of us. Even little Sean now out there in the academy. So I'm not being anti-American or anti-military or any of that stuff. If you think that, you know me. You don't know me very well. And you're just, again, looking for some escape route for your own ridiculousness. I'm merely stating the reason why we Americans are proud by default. We've all grown up in a country that has been the so-called, you know, king of the hill since our time of birth. You get the point. Uh, some, you know, some, some might say that you're not really American. You're not even a patriot if you're not a proud American. That's unpatriotic. I mean, probably if, if you took what I just said a minute ago out of context, there would be a lot of people out there to be like, that guy's not a patriot. No, I, I mean, you can say whatever you want. Anyways, we're proud. That's the point, by default, because we grew up in it, in a culture that promotes American pride. And it stretches way beyond where it ought to. That's the point. The problem is, now here's where it, here's where it gets biblical, right? I mean, more so even. Doctrinal. The problem is that pride is the original sin. Pride is the original sin. It's Satan's sin as well as Adam and Eve's in the Garden of Eden. So on the one hand, Americans are bred to be proud, and yet the Bible says pride is at the root of all sin. The origin, even. In brief, Pride is what motivates a person <clears throat> to think his will is better than God's. <clears throat> that his will is better than God's. So, what did I just do? What did the Spirit do? We have this collision, right? We have this collision that occurs in the souls of those of us who uh, to humbly submit to the word of truth, that is the Bible. We have this sort of collision. On one hand, we're bred to be proud Americans. On the other hand, we have the Bible that says it's a sin. 
It's the original sin, the sin of sins, the root of all sins is pride and arrogance. So we have this collision as Americans. As a side note, I want to ensure you know that the Bible speaks to two different kinds of pride. Okay? We just noted that. It isn't always bad or evil. You're still in Philippians 2? Yeah, look at verse 16. Paul said, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be what? Proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Is he out of whack there? No. So not all pride is created equal, in other words. Not all, just like love, right? Some people can love money, and that's evil. Or you can love Christ, and that's good. So you have to always be contextual in the Bible. So concentrate. Again, concentrate on what I'm about to say, because this is how you discern pride. The key is the substance behind it. The key to pride, to understanding whether it's good or evil, is the substance behind it. Go to 2 Corinthians 7, 4. I'll show, it. I'll show you what I mean. Again, the key is the substance. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4. Second Corinthians 7, Verse 4. <clears throat> okay, remember, the key to pride is understanding the substance behind it. 2 Corinthians 7, 4. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride. <laughs> I have great pride. 2 Corinthians 7, 4. I have great pride. In other words, he's boasting in the achievements of or the well-doing of others, the act of glorifying or glory, uh, glorying the result of God's work in others. Does that make sense? Glorying in it, like boasting in the result of God's work in other people. That's what he's talking about. That's the substance of Paul's pride here. He says, I have great pride. Like, I'm boasting this way in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. So in that sense, pride is good. Amen? See? There is such a thing as good pride. How about 1 John 2.16, though? 1 John 2.16. So on the one hand, in Holy Scripture, we have good pride. Pride that's good. Like we just saw with Paul. We saw it in Philippians 2 as well. However, as I alluded to earlier, pride, in the evil sense, is the root of all sin. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. What's the difference here? That's boasting that is empty. The substance is empty. You understand? The substance is in self, and self is nothing compared to the pride we just talked about with Paul and his great pride. So again, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, where the boasting is empty, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Again, the key to understanding this is the substance. What's the substance? So here's a quick way of discerning between pride and the Bible up here on the board, the different kinds of pride. 
To properly discern pride, you consider the substance of the boasting in view. To properly discern pride, you consider the substance of the boasting in view. What are you boasting of? What is it that you're boasting about? Pride is godly if it is boasting in God's work in a person. However, it is ungodly if it is boasting in self. Or someone's work in self, even. If the substance is God, it is good. 2 Corinthians 7, 4. If it's self, it is evil. In other words, that's empty boasting. That's the pride of life. We just saw that in 1 John 2, 16. So that's a pretty good way to think about the two categories of pride in the Bible. They do exist, right? They do honestly exist. I think I just looked at Chris Fredericks over here, and I know for a fact he's proud of his children and what God's done in them. Do you understand what I'm getting at? Is that good or bad? That's beautiful. It's wonderful because his heart is right towards his kids. Do you follow? Now, if he was that father, excuse me for using, continuing with the example, but, you know, he's like so proud of his kids because, you know, and, you know he's high-fiving everybody in the audience that his kid's the best, I don't know, baseball player or something whacked out, you know, my kid's the best because who knows, you know, that type of person. Then that's bad pride. You're building up a self-esteem even in that kid that's going to crash and burn anyways. And you're doing them a disservice, and it's ugly. But that's not what I see. So there's two different kinds of prides. Again, that's a pretty good way to think about two categories of pride in the Bible. In fact, whenever we're examining ourselves, we ought to always look for this distinction as well. It's a subtlety. Listen, it's a subtlety that Satan truly enjoys because... You really have to be paying attention sometimes to ensure you haven't crossed that line because it's like that little fine line, right? It's really easy to flip the switch. Start over here and be like, oh, it's so wonderful, you know, what God's done in me or in my kids or in my friend. And then all of a sudden it flips. It just flips right over that line. Next thing you know, 10% going towards self. Well, I was kind of involved in there. You know, I mean, this is, you know, I'm a little proud now. Here's a quick scenario to help drive this home. So you treat yourself to a new car. When you land a new job, after you graduate from school. Treat yourself to a new car after you land a new job, after you graduate from school. Immediately, you're faced with three areas of pride. That everyone in your life, let's face it, especially in America, because we're bred to be proud. That's in perfect alignment with the American way. So now you've got three areas immediately. And everybody in your life seems hell-bent on making you stumble over them. Right? You, got, you, you graduate, you got a new car, you got a new job, whatever. Whenever someone... Now, listen... Imagine you're in that scene. Some of you are like, I was in that scene at one point in my life. Um, whenever someone compliments you, do you say, at least in your head, maybe out loud would be good once in a while? I am what I am by the grace of God? Or will you join in the boasting and toasting of your achievements? 
So that's honestly a good way to discern pride, which occurs in the Bible both ways, as we just noted. But we've got to get back to our instigating question on the table since the start of this message up here in the board. Again, we used David as a launch pad. The Spirit made it real. Has your pride ever gotten in the way of your humility? Maybe, you know, maybe when you were having those um, long nights studying at school, maybe you're not, you know, the, the sharpest tool in the shed type thing. You have to study extra hard just to get through that schooling. And you prayed to God, help me get through this thing. And you were so grateful when final exams came around and you passed. Right? Fast forward six months, all of a sudden it's all about you. What happened? Right? All of a sudden, it's like, what happened to that? What, what happened to the humility? You know. If you graduate, get a job, and buy a new car, and not a single soul says, hey, congrats. No one. Let's just pretend this happens. Right? Will you be miffed? You're going to be miffed? You're standing in a room of people. Everybody's congratulating every other person on job well done. No one says a word to you. What are you going to do? Are you going to be miffed? Right? You're going to be miffed? Honestly. Why would you even have a tinge of resentment towards others just because they didn't hand you a trophy for doing what God wants you to do? Why would, they, why would that even be an issue? Why would you even care? Here's a friendly reminder we noted last time up here on the board. 1 Corinthians 4.7 in the message this time. For who do you know that really knows you, knows your heart? Even if they did, is there anything they would discover in you that you could take credit for? <laughs> Isn't everything you have and everything you are sheer gifts from God? That's a good reminder. Here's a little story Jesus told his disciples. Go to Luke 17, verse 7. Luke 17, verse 7. It's just too easy, folks. You start off being so grateful, you know, up the, you know, when you're climbing the mountain and God's with you and you're like, oh, thank you, God. I'm going to keep praying. I'm, thank you, Lord, for giving me the strength. And then you make it to the top of the hill and you're like, God who? There's sweat on my brow. This had to be me. Next thing you know, you're king of the hill. You're proud. Welcome to the American way. Luke 17, verse 7. Jesus had a little story. I love this story. One of my favorites in the Bible, if there's such a thing, you know what I'm getting at. They're all my favorites, but you know, we're talking about it now, so let's make it our favorite. Right? <laughs> Luke 17, 7. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, now remember, this is a servant, okay? So there's a relationship there. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? 
Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Verse 9, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? In other words, should, that, should, you, should the servant be getting a trophy? A big old attaboy! You're so awesome, right? You do, you, does he? No. No. Not even. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that, all, there's a good word for you, all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We've only done what was our duty. Up here on the board, pride demands to be rewarded. Pride demands to be rewarded. Up here on the board, a proud person expects accolades for everything. I always get a kick out of that. People want credit for what? Everything. Literally. A proud person expects accolades for everything. There's a greediness for self-aggrandizement that evolves into entitlement that is then imposed on others. I'm entitled to your uh, praise of me. I expect it now. You see? Because I'm arrogant. I expect to be patted on the back for everything. Folks, you're just doing what you're supposed to be doing. Honestly. And who can actually say, let's face it, who can actually say that they're um, doing more than what's asked of them from God's perspective? Anybody want to raise their hand to that one? I don't. Which means just put your head down and do what you're supposed to do. What are you in this for? That's the point. That's the subtle point that Jesus was pulling out, right? He's plucking it out. The Spirit's doing it in your soul right now. What are you in this for in the first place? What's this about in the first place? Is this somehow about you? Like, you know, do you do something, like the hypocrites, right? Do you do, you do something so that with the expectation and the pride of being rewarded, for doing something you're supposed to do, right? I bet you I'd be willing to bet. Now, I understand, because sometimes it's, it is really difficult for a variety of reasons, but so you got here this morning. Should I be praising you? Or are you supposed to be here? Like, are you, are you like this? You're like, oh, I made it here. Against all odds, really? Against all odds you're here? This is where this is at for you? Your, your perspective on life is so perverted that you want to be praised for coming to church so you can be fed a meal like this one? You want to be praised for sitting at a table and having someone serve you while you sit fat, dumb, and happy? You want to be praised for that activity? Are you kidding me? That's a joke. You're the joke. That's the point. And you suffer for it. That's what pride is. Pride is a flipping joke. 
to the core. And if you think there's something special about you because you're here this morning, I don't know what else to tell you. If I get any more riled up, I'm going to start swearing. Do you understand what I'm getting at? And it's, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I get angry at that, at pride itself. I hate sin so bad. Amen? I, honest to goodness, I hate it so bad, I feel like taking this pulpit and throwing it through the wall. And I could do it. <laughs> it's a shirt. Scott, the shirt's making me crazy. <laughs> I hate sin so bad. Like, it's all, I can't put a measure on it. That's what it feels like. I hate it so bad. It's, oh, it just ruins everything. But here we are again. Pride demands baby steps, right? Pride demands to be rewarded. A proud person expects accolades for everything. There's a greediness for self-aggrandizement that evolves into entitlement that is then imposed on others. An arrogant person expects rewards for simply doing what they are supposed to. For doing what they are supposed to do. Just let that sink in. Here's what the Bible has to say about that for extra clarity. Go to Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3, verse 23. Colossians 3.23. <clears throat> Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Do you understand? Work for Him. Lay it out for Him. Let Him be the one who says, good and faithful servant, well, uh, job well done. Let Him be the one who uh, builds you up. Let Him be the one. Let him reward you, as, as we alluded to earlier with, I think it's Matthew 6, right? As opposed to the hypocrites. Let him be the one to reward you in secret. That should be sufficient. Let me tell you something right now. If that is not sufficient for your greedy little prideful self, something's wrong. That's the point. If you look to your left and to your right, and you're always looking for people to pat you on the back and say, oh, you're just so swell, you're doing such a great job in this or that, and blah, blah, blah. You're missing the point. You're setting yourself up for disappointment. You're on a treadmill. Do you understand? Leave that part up to God. And be delivered. Right? Be delivered. Remember I taught you, oh, years ago, initially, right? Disappointment's nothing more than failed expectations. If you're disappointed, check your expectations, because God never disappoints. That's a fact. People do all the time. If you've got poor expectations about how you want everybody to give you a trophy and pat you on the back and say, oh, you're just such a swell guy, you're such a swell gal, and you're bitter towards people, it often happens in families even, you're bitter towards people because you expect them to do that for you. And they don't. Because maybe they're a man or a woman of integrity. 
And they leave that stuff up to Christ because that's where it's rightly supposed to be. And you're bitter. Why? Why? Because you have pride. That's why. You want the world to revolve around you, just like when you were a little baby. You never grew up. You're just a big baby now. Where's Kathy? You big baby! Is she here? Yeah, she's here, right? Oh, inside joke, sorry. You just grew up. You're just a big baby now. Anyways. Whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Can you remember that? Who are you serving? Your self-esteem or Christ? All right, back to our instigating question again, up here on the board. Has your pride ever gotten in the way of your humility? To take this one step further, what happens, you ready? Listen, concentrate. What happens when others injure your pride one step further by proactively attacking it? So we, we discussed the example of where, you know, they, they ignore it. But what happens when they just flat out start attacking your pride? In other words, instead of merely omitting praise where pride feels it's due, you know, what happens when someone commits an offense against your pride? Takes a few pot shots at it. Says, there's nothing special about you. Does that ever make you stumble? <laughs> Again, I ask the same question. Why should it matter what anyone says at any time? In this vein of thinking. Why should it matter? I mean, if they're correcting you biblically, that's one thing. But that's not what we're talking about. I hope you understand. Go to Matthew 5.38. Here's what Christ had to say about this. Again, why should it matter that someone injures your pride? Someone takes a pot shot at something you're proud of. Why should it matter? You know? You ever, been, you, know, you ever been around a one-upper? I call them one-uppers. You can't say anything without them responding as, yeah, I've done that, but I've done it better. You know, the one-uppers. Yeah, anyways. How do you respond in that situation? Nowadays, I just laugh. I'm like, I can see now that you're very insecure. And you just need to be up on everything. You have to one-up everything. This is obvious that you have a pride issue because pride is what sows insecurity, right? Humility sows strength. Insecurity is not from God. Security is from God. If you're humble, you're secure. You have nothing to prove. Anyways, Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Oh, that would be a good one, right? Someone sues you. But I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. No one's going to take mine. Who's this about anyways? Anyways. Verse 41. And if anyone forced you to go a mile, go with him two miles. 
Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. What was Jesus saying? He was saying what the Spirit's been saying to us all week. You ready? We finally get to the crux of the message. Stop focusing on the wrong things. Stop focusing. You're going to hear the word focus about a bazillion times. Stop focusing on the wrong things. That's the winning strategy of our enemies. I'll give you an analogy. Have you ever noticed how when you're driving a vehicle, suppose you're driving a vehicle, right? And, and you turn your head like 90 degrees to the side. Do you ever notice that you drift off the road in that direction? Right? It happens in airplanes too, by the way, just FYI. So you're driving along and you literally turn completely sideways. It's very common that you drift. Unless you've been trained. But that's a different story. I'm talking about an average human being. Did someone else in that moment put their hands on the steering wheel and make you turn towards the direction you were looking? In other words, is anyone else responsible for steering the entire car in the direction of where you're looking? No. I mean, if someone's in the car with you, they might put their hands on there before you're going to crash, but that's a different story. The point is that something that is appealing enough to take your eyes off of the road can make you crash. And yet, it was your hands. You ready for this? It was your hands that were on the steering wheel the whole time. In other words, a mere influence, something that you know catches your eye, something that gains your attention, well, that thing has got your focus in the moment, hasn't it? Isn't that the whole point? I mean, who's going to drive 50 miles an hour and turn 90 degrees to look at something? Something has got your focus. And something is turning the entire vehicle at a pretty high speed into, and towards danger. But you're the only one with your hands on the steering wheel. Whenever something is able to capture your focus or attention, it controls you. That, my friends, is exactly how Satan in the kingdom of darkness controls you. You're a child of God. It's hands off. Do you understand? It's hands off. The only I've taught you this a bazillion times, a, diff, a bazillion different ways. The only way that the kingdom of darkness or your enemies can sway you is to get your attention is to get your affections, is to appeal to your pride, the lust in you. That's the only way it can happen. But the funny thing is, your hands are still on the steering wheel. Think of it this way. If you're saved, you are a child of God, and you have something Evangelist Grande taught on recently called eternal security. However, even children of God can lose their focus. And your enemies know this. So they exploit this as a weakness. Again, the Spirit is saying, stop focusing on the wrong things. Stop focusing on the wrong things. 
That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 5, 38 to 42 also. If you focus on the person who's attacking you, let's say, how can you be focused on Jesus? Jesus is straight ahead, right? He says, plow this field straight ahead. Follow my lead. Boom, straight down. Boom, let's do this thing. Someone starts attacking you from the side. What do you do? Right? You scowl all of a sudden. Like, Next thing you know, you look, then you look back. It's like, Jesus is like, come on, man. You're like, right? You're all over. You start veering towards that fight. If you focus on the person who's attacking you, how can you be focused on Jesus? If you focus on the wrongs being done against you, supposedly, how can you focus on the good in you? If you focus on fighting your enemies on their terms and their grounds, how will you ever overcome evil with good? You've just ejected yourself from the sphere of good. I hope you see the point of deliverance the Spirit's making here. If you focus on the wrong things, your pride will always win. If you focus on the wrong things, your pride will always win. Do you understand? When you depart from the way, when you depart, you've debilitated yourself in that moment. You've lost your strength. And now you're weak and vulnerable. And your enemies just shackle you up and walk you away. And it's easy, it's easy pickings, you understand? Because you're weak. Because you're no longer in the sphere of strength that you're supposed to be in as a child of God. You've willingly been distracted. You've willingly driven over there, right? No one took your hands and steered you over there. You looked over there. It appealed to you. Next thing you know, drift. Next thing you're over there. No one else to blame. Stop pointing fingers. Some of you, I don't even know, maybe some of you right now are pointing fingers. I don't know. But again, that's just a, that's a defense mechanism that arrogance uses. Right? Arrogance has all kinds of survival tactics. And it loves defense mechanisms. It loves to say things like, don't judge me. Right? It wasn't my fault. My father was a jerk. My mother was a jerk. My so-and-so was a jerk. My uncle was... Everybody's a jerk except you. Somehow your hands are on the steering wheel, you're over in the pit, and everybody else is a jerk but you. Stop it. Just stop. Grow up. Just stop. If you focus on the wrong things, your pride always will, will always win. Fair enough? Because you walk away weakened. Again, the point of the board is, has your pride ever gotten in the way of your humility? Focus. Next slide, up here on the board. The quote, secret to strength is humility. Humility. Humility means what? Obedience. Obedience means following the leader. We even had a uh, children's uh, kids' corner come out this week called "Follow the Leader." They're really good, for real. They're really good. Follow the leader, then. <laughs> Follow him, and everything's good. That's what humility looks like, though. It's you're not being strong by playing the hero. Do you know what I'm getting at? 
How dare you? Let me put my cape on. Let me go beat you up for a little while and then come back and follow Christ. That's not heroic at all. That's stupid. The secret to strength is humility. Humility is our greatest source of strength and courage, applied faith. In other words, why? Because we put the onus of victory on the Lord's strength instead of our own. Let's read Peter's advice again. Go to 1 Peter 3, verse 9. 1 Peter 3, verse 9. I know I'm being aggressive, folks, but that's what it takes, to be quite honest, to get through a person's pride, right? Um, There's a certain kind of aggression, I think, that comes from the pulpit to do that very thing. So don't blame me, please. I'm just a messenger. 1 Peter 3.9 Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called. I'm going to have to read that again because Hot Rod Joe over there. Right? But on the contrary, bless. For to, to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Do you see that? Isn't that beautiful? For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. You don't return evil for evil. For you to get the blessing, you overcome evil with good. Go to verse 14. Verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Don't, don't get your eyes all, you know, uh, is it okay to don't get your panties in a bunch? You know what I'm saying? Right? Don't, you know, don't do that. Don't get all riled up. Don't be so sensitive. Right? Everybody's so sensitive. It's like, just. Have a thick skin, will you? Like, thick skin in a sense that you're humble. That's what gives you thick skin. Thick skin's a, a, a misnomer in a way. Right? Anyways, I don't want to get into that. But, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Isn't that awesome? So you have to suffer for a little bit. Great. Whatever. Consider it a, uh, a training exercise. God's just putting you to the test. He says, hey, you ready to grow up a little bit? Okay, let me put you to the test. Right? I'm going to have moron over here take pot shots at you. I'm going to see how you respond. I'm going to see if your pride gets in the way. I'm going to see if you can stay focused. Then I'm going to have Joe Schmo with, with no, uh, no muffler pipes, with straight pipes on a Harley, drive by in the middle of your message, Right? They probably should be here, but whatever. Right? And I'm going to try to distract you with silliness like that. I'm just going to come at all angles. Who hasn't been orchestrated against just this past week? It's ridiculous. I laugh about it nowadays. It's ridiculous. It's never one variable. It's always like this, 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 this person, that person, this person, that, this situation, that situation, this person's situation, this person's situation. It's stupid after a while. And you have to go, Lord, you take it. I'm just going to focus on Christ. Get up in the morning, I'm going to have my coffee, I'm going to read my Bible. Let them do what they got to do. I can't control them. People are going to be idiots no matter what. I can pray for them. It's about as good as it gets, but I cannot control people from without my little sphere. Right? I'm trying to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. It's hard enough. 
I'm just going to focus. If I suffer for going forward in a straight line, so be it. God says I'll be blessed. I have to have faith that he's not lying to me. Verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Amen? All right, and then go to Romans uh, 12.21. Romans 12.21. A little bit longer, and then we'll, I'll have Scott come up and do communion service. Romans 12, 21. So this is kind of funny, right? So Scott puts me up here in this thing, and then he, watch when he comes up. He's in a suit and tie. I think you might be suffering some pride. He's trying to, trying to make me look bad. I see how it is. Oh, he's one-upping me. That's right. I'm just kidding. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Any questions? Do you, the, the ripple effect of that truth is very broad. I can't get into it. We got into a lot of it already this morning. Do not overcome, or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So if your pride ever gets in the way of your humility, do as the Bible teaches up here in the board. You want to be delivered from the temptation of pride? Focus on the good in you instead of the evil in others. Oh, wait a minute. Whoa-oh. Wait a minute. Focus on the good in you instead of the evil in others. Focus on the good in you instead of the evil in others. That's how you're delivered. You guys remember that um, blog I wrote years ago now? Uh, I think it was called Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Anyways, it was about two different ball fields. There were winners and losers in this ball field and winners and losers in this ball field, right? The problem was this entire ball field over here was all evil. In other words, there are winners and losers in the world system. Don't get, just, like, dismiss all of it. Dismiss the whole system of thinking, right? That's all evil. Stay focused on the good ballpark. God's economy. What's going on in God's economy? Focus on the good in you instead of the evil in others. That's how you're delivered. Go to Proverbs 17.4. Taking all this back to our primary course of study. And then I'll hand it off in a moment. Proverbs 17, verse 4. Talking and speaking about economies... Speaking about economies, Proverbs 17.4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. There's an economy there. There's an exchange there. There's a merchandising there. There's a faith there. There's a currency there. All of it is wrapped up into this evil economy. And it's very worldly. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. That's the dynamic. We spent some time developing this thought already, which resulted in the following up here on the board. A person's nature, then, is revealed by the type of advice he accepts. A person's nature, well, we just read that an evildoer listens to evil lips. 
or wicked lips, right? That's the person's nature because they're an evildoer. They're a person who does evil. And so it makes perfect sense that they only want to exchange currency with someone who's in that same economy. Wicked lips. A person's nature is revealed by the type of advice he accepts. An evildoer doesn't want the truth because the truth is light and light exposes that which abides in darkness. That's why. In this case, it exposes the evildoer for who they are. An evildoer is very prideful, right? And they don't want um, God of all people or his word, the word of truth, to expose them. That's the very last thing they want to happen because it's an inescapable truth at that point. It's one thing if I say, my opinion of you is terrible. You could say, well, I don't care. But if the word of God says, Mr., Miss, you are way out of line. Whoa. There's no escape. So let me just avoid light altogether. I don't want to even hear. I don't want to go, I don't want to go ask that person for advice because they're going to give me holy scripture. Somewhere in the conversation, it's going to become very holy. <laughs> and I don't want that right now. I'm in an, I'm in an evildoer's economy. I'm in, the, I'm in this economy. I don't want light shining into darkness because I will be exposed personally and my pride will crumble. I will fall down hard. So to avoid all that, that person goes, the evildoer, goes to accept uh, advice from other evildoers, people who think like them. And the, the grossest thing of all is when both parties say, oh, God wants this. When the Holy Bible, Holy Scripture is nowhere in view, other than by word or verses plucked out for the sake of encouraging the evil. Do you follow what I'm getting at? You know what I'm getting at? That, that whole ugly economy. That's what's in view. So a person's nature is revealed by the type of advice he or she accepts. Up here on the board, Paul had something to say about that. Galatians 4.16, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Rhetorical question, yep. You don't like me right now, do you? Why? Because you're an evildoer, and I represent the light. I gave you Holy Scripture, and you don't like me right now because I gave you the truth. I know it doesn't look anything like your little friends on the side of the road, the ones that are patting you on the back, telling you how swell you are and all that good stuff, you know, like we talked about earlier. I know I'm not doing that for you. I know I'm giving you the truth, but now I'm, a, now I'm your enemy? Yeah, matter of fact, you are. Let's just be honest. You're an enemy of my pride. You're an enemy of my arrogance. You're an enemy of my self-esteem. So, in general, people don't want the truth. Again, verse 4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. That's the whole economy that's been in view. We ended on Thursday with, up here on the board, partiality, the idea of partiality. A lot of people's favorite here, especially with family circumstances, right? 
especially with family, not the only circumstance. Friends can be the same. Business partners can be the same. All kinds of dynamics. But family seems to be a big issue with partiality. People expect it when they should expect and appreciate and love a person all the more for functioning in integrity. But they don't. They don't like that person because they get exposed. So they avoid that person. You follow? Partiality is evil. People who abide in it are rightly called evildoers for the simple fact that they do evil habitually. A person who abides in partiality doesn't want to talk to a person who abides in integrity, lest they be exposed. A person who abides in partiality doesn't want to talk to a person who abides in integrity, lest they be exposed. So let's just think about one last thing before I hand it off. Let's think of a popular manifestation of partiality for a moment at a social scale, like big picture. How does this manifest, you know? Well, entitlement, you know, I'm entitled, I'm an American, I'm entitled to, you know, free lunch or I don't know, whatever, is a byproduct of partiality. This is the same reason why the entitlement camp, let's call them that, people who are entitled, in America can't stand hearing from anyone other than other people in that group. That's one of the, uh, the critical flaws of a democracy, by the way, right? Eventually, the people in that group outnumber the people who are actually sane. And they vote for insanity and destructive behaviors, but that's another story altogether. It's one of the downfalls of a democracy. And by the way, during the millennial reign, you know, Christ's thousand-year reign, it's not going to be a democracy. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say democracy is not the best form of governance. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that. Because if it was, Jesus Christ would institute it when he reigned. Anyways, what person who's been milking the system for years, let's say, and I'm not trying to insult anybody. This is between you and the Lord. You know, there are social help programs that are actually good, and they do good. So I'm not blanket statementing, you know, all types of social stuff. I'm talking about the person who's, you know, lazy, entitled. You know, I live in America, so I, I, don't, I don't have to work if I don't want to. That person. What person who's been milking the system for years wants to hear someone say, hey, get a job? Or more poignant, which of these people wants to hear an honest pastor recite the word of God to them? For example, go to 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10. Not a popular passage. Not a popular passage, my friends. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10. If I go into one of these social justice rallies and I start spouting this off, I'm probably going to get run out of Dodge, right? Let's face it, not a popular passage. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, willing is the key that gives that disclaimer that I gave earlier, 
Some people are in, incapable of it for physical reasons or something. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. In other words, force his hand. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. And what do they say that? Uh, that's the devil's playground, right? Verse 12. And now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. That's biblical holy scripture. Do you understand that? Earn your own living. Hmm. What entitlement camp disciple wants to hear that? What disciple of the entitlement camp wants to hear that? If you're not willing to work, you shouldn't eat. Go get a job. Earn your own living. Here's what Jesus had to say about that kind of evil doing. Go to John 3.20. John 3.20. John 3.20. For everyone who does wicked things, fair enough to call that an evildoer, it's got parity with uh, Proverbs 17.4, same idea, evildoers. For everyone who does wicked things, an evildoer, right, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be what? Exposed. That's why they hate the light. They hate the truth. Why? Because it exposes them. They're hiding out in darkness, even in their own heads, in their own little world. They've concocted this little world of lies and arrogance, and they've got this little world, this, their own little economy. And light comes in and shines and goes, that's gross. Your little economy is functioning on, on a currency that's anti-God. It's all about creature credit, built up on pride and arrogance and being puffed up and having a self-esteem tied directly to those things. In other words, if light comes into that person's life, the entire system of thinking, the whole house of cards falls down. And if you're, you know, older than your teen years, you've got a lot invested in that house of cards, don't you? Yeah. So when the light comes in and blows it up and just goes, you literally go back to ground zero. You might be 40 years old. Or like some of you in here, in your 60s, before you were even saved, that entire house of cards had to come crashing down. That's a, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow, is it not? Because you got a lot of street cred. You got, you got reputation, you got, you know, Everything, you got everything that you thought you needed, and the light comes in and goes, ooh, that whole structure is ugly, because it was all built on pride. And I noticed that you're on the top of it, sitting up there, going, oh. The point on the board, partiality is evil, people abide in it rightly, called evildoers for the simple fact that they, quote, do evil habitually. 
A person who abides in partiality doesn't want to talk to a person who abides in integrity. One last read. Go to Proverbs 17.4. Scott, get ready. I'm going to call you up. Proverbs 17, verse 4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. That's the economy. Makes total sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes total sense. They're not going to listen to lips that speak the word of truth because that would blow everything up. That would expose them. So an evildoer listens to wicked lips. Please give the point on the board some thought. Uh, it'll help mitigate some of the attacks I'm seeing even on all of you, on the church, from within, from without. Just give it some real thought, my friends, honestly. Scott, come on up. Gentlemen, we're going to uh, get ready for communion service, so get the elements out, please. I'm just going to use the same mic for Scott. Just uh, turn it down for a moment because it's going to...
right, good morning. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity today uh, to do this very solemn thing that we do. Um, I just want to say a few words and read one passage to you before we partake of the elements. One of the major themes this past week for us as believers is that when someone attacks you for your faith, be willing to take it and leave vengeance to the Lord. We heard it this morning, too. If you pay too much attention to it, it can be a distraction and veer you off course. Where really, that's God's business. We've also heard to pray for your enemies and even do good to them. So I want to read to you the passage once again from Romans 12 in context. Um, feel free to just sit back and listen. And think about the calling that's on our lives to act like Christ. In Romans 12:14 it says, "Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation." Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, Give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our Lord illustrated this for us. He showed us how to do this by the life he lived. We know when he was accused by Pilate, he remained silent, like a sheep led to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth in Isaiah 53. We know on the cross, he prayed for his enemies. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. This is a huge calling we have on our lives, to act like Christ to not pay attention to the attacks from the right or from the left, to even laugh at them and laugh at yourself, lest we fall into pride. The Lord is our great teacher. So let's simply follow his example. He showed us how to respond with grace towards our enemies. So let's accept this calling in our own lives and let's be willing to suffer injustice for his namesake, like he did for us. So in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In memory of our Lord, let's eat the bread. 
in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In memory of our Lord, let's drink the cup. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this privilege. Help us never be familiar with this, Father, and never be familiar what your Son did for us on the cross. We thank you that he made eternal life possible for all of us who would finally repent, put our pride aside, and believe in him as our Lord and Savior. Thank you so much for all you've provided for us, for this church, for our pastor, for your word, which is perfect and holy. We're grateful for all good things in our lives, Father, as we know they're from you. And Father, we also ask you for the strength and humility to go out into this lost and dying world and to spread your good news before it's too late. Help us gather more from the harvest and do your work as it's what we're supposed to do. We ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and on his merits we pray. Amen.